All right, good morning. Welcome. What a great time of worship. You know, we sang the lines uh, from the last song, Living Hope. Um, and the line, I just, it just over, overwhelmed me. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Um, you know, there are times we get up here and, and preach and, and there's a strong exhortation but we always need to come back to that, right? That we are, we're not accepted by God or justified by God or forgiven because of what we have done. But the God of ages stepped down from glory to bear our sin Amen. and to wear our shame. So, amen for that, right? Um, the Declaration of Independence ends with these memorable words. Maybe some of you know these words. At least, a lot of you will re- at least know some of them. It says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Words like that are not spoken easily. They're not spoken lightly. You know, we admire those that speak like this, right? We admire those who, with a sense of mutual commitment and resolve, make promises like this. The 56 signers of the Declaration knew that by signing this document and making this commitment, it was going to lead to more conflict, more war, but they believed in the cause, right? They believed in the mission, And so they said these words, they made this commitment, they signed the document and made it public and ended up sending it to all the colonies so the citizens and soldiers everywhere would would know what this was all about. Not only that, but these words have echoed down the corridors of time for almost 250 years now and largely, until recently, kind of held in disrepute, but largely highly esteemed. Well, we are in the midst of a series on the church and what it means to be a committed, living member of the body of Christ. And in particular, what it means to be a committed, living member of a local body. Not just generally part of the body and I'm committed in some abstract general way, but what does it look like to be a living, committed member in a local body like this? And so what we're doing is we're, we're working through each statement of our church covenant statement. And I thought today it might be worth just saying it's important that we have something like this, a document that says we are committed to these things together. Amen. Before God, this mutual commitment to one another and in the presence of God, our commitment collectively to him. Amen. The covenant statement begins with these words. It doesn't begin with the things that we commit to do. It begins with these words. Having been brought by God's grace to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, relying upon the Spirit, resolve by faith and establish this commitment together. So we've been brought by grace to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen for that. If you believe in Christ, it's because of God's gracious work in you. We rely upon the Holy Spirit. We resolve by faith to make this commitment together. 
each of the individual parts of the statement begin with the words, we will, where we make a commitment together to do things in the presence of God, mutually in agreement with one another. And we're calling every single person who believes in the cause of Christ and the mission of Christ for which Christ has placed us here to take this with the utmost of seriousness. Each statement in the church covenant state in the in the larger church covenant statement comes directly from scripture. Well, maybe not verbatim, but every statement in there you you could find a verse that is almost verbatim. This is not something that we came up with on our own. It's not like we're saying, "Hey, here's some things we would like a church to be about." Right? There's a lot of that going on. That's not what we're interested in. We want to be a church that honors Christ, that pleases Christ. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our king. He is our savior. He is our bridegroom. We want to please him out of love for him. A church covenant statement is not meant to be something that restricts or oppresses like trying to get you a square to fit into a circle hole or something like that. Rather, it's like you and I, by God's grace, are being placed in the playground to work out the freedom that he's given us in Christ. It's like he places us in this particular playground to work out this freedom that we now have in Jesus. What have we been freed from? It's condemnation, it's sin, it's the wrath of God. We've been freed from that. What have we been freed for? Here's, what, here's how Paul puts it in Galatians 5. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do you hear what it's saying there? You are free to serve others. That's amazing. Really, in the original language, it's like you are free to be a slave. <laughs> for, the better, for, the, for, the, for the benefit of others. You are free to be a slave of Christ and through love to serve your brothers and sisters. That's what we've been freed for. You're not free to live for yourself. You're free to live for God's glory and for the good of others. So today we're going to take a look at the next statement in the covenant, our church covenant statement, and it is this. Now, I don't, I don't want anyone here to think, this doesn't really apply to me, so I'm going to check out, maybe check some scores. Don't do that, okay? It applies to everyone here. In different ways, of course. Here's the next statement. We will bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We heard it in the text Randy, or Andy read for us. We will bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, this relates directly to parents with kids in the home. And I would say it relates directly to kids in the home. Okay? So kids, listen up, right? Listen up. This relates to you Right? Of course, it relates especially to parents with kids in the home, but it also relates to children. Kids, I'm gonna, I want to tell you today what your parents' responsibility is before God so that in honor of Christ, you submit lovingly 
in obedience to your parents. But this also, I think, relates to grandparents. I, I look around and I see lots of grandpas and grandmas who I know pour into their grandchildren and love their grandchildren. This also relates to those who have not yet had kids but plan to. This relates to those also who, you might say, really? But it also relates to those who have never had children, biologically, or their own children that they've raised, and never will have children. You are to come alongside parents and children and not try to be their parents, but support them and bless them and encourage them in all that God has called them to do. Maybe you've heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. I think it was Hillary Clinton that coined that phrase. This is the only time you hear me quote Hillary Clinton, okay? And she meant it in a very different way than, than I want to make application this morning. She meant it in, in the sense of this bloated, devouring government helping us take care of our kids. Forget that, okay? But in a sense, it does take a village in terms of a church, right? When, it, when a family's part of a molecular bond to the, in, or is a molecular or bonded in, in the context of a church, there's great strength, there's great power. Amen. So everyone here can play an important role, either directly or indirectly, in children being brought up in the Lord. This morning I was getting ready for church and, and, um, this, th- and this has happened before, okay? This thought came to me. You're gonna preach this message? Don't you know some of the issues in your own home? I have five kids in the home still. <laughs> One baby, okay, and up to 17. And I was tempted to sulk and back up and say, man, that's right. I but then I remembered that we do this by faith. We raise our children by faith. And all of us, every single one of us, has room to grow. It's always good to remember, I need to remember this often, that God does not take us from where we think we should be but from where we actually are. And that's good news to remember every single day. And in the raising of kids, when you see some victory, you experience victories and you experience some, uh, some, some defeats and so forth, it's good to remember that God takes us from where we are, not where we think we should be. So let's look at our text. We see two things two main things that I want to draw your attention to. We see first the aim for our children and second, we see how we go about pursuing the same or the path we take in pursuit of this larger aim. First, the aim or the goal. What is, what is the goal for our children? What is the ultimate aim? It's the first part of verse four. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. We see it right there. The goal is to bring children up. The goal of having children is not that they stay children. Not that they stay really young and cute and cuddly and all of that. It's that they are brought up. 
The goal is to nurture and to help flourish. That's the literal meaning of the word bring up or the the Greek word behind bring up. To nourish and to nurture to maturity. Think about having a fruit tree that you plant in your yard. You take it home from the landscaping company, you plant it in your yard, dig a nice hole, put it in the ground, cover it up with the dirt, and you take care of that tree, hopefully. I didn't do that so well, I've lost a few. They never made it anywhere, but anyways, um, you take care of that tree. You nurture it, you water it, you prune it, you care for it in order that it might be brought to maturity. And what does a healthy, mature apple tree do? It bears apples. You get apples from it. That is the goal. The goal is to instill in our children a love for God and a love for God's ways so that they serve him all their days. That's what we long for, right? The point of having kids, I said it's not cute Christmas pictures. It's not Little League memories. Nothing wrong with that, right? Make memories, do that, take the pictures. Those are great, those are precious. But the aim ultimately is for our children to be brought up to maturity in Christ. Or to put it another way, our goal is for our children to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ who live for his glory and seek to advance his kingdom in the earth in whatever station of life God places them in. And in order for this to happen, parents directly and many other adults indirectly are called to work and pray to that end. John Milton, he was a Puritan, lived in the 1600s. He wrote an epic poem called Paradise Lost. He said this, he said, The end of learning for children is to repair the ruins of our first parents, Adam and Eve, by regaining to know God aright, and out of that knowledge to love him and imitate him and be like him. That's the goal with our children is that they know God aright, that they know him for who he truly is so that they love him and imitate him and grow to be more like him. We have to aim higher than just making sure that our kids are nice and well-behaved. Of course, we want our kids to be nice and we want our kids to be well-behaved, but if they're going to be followers of Jesus in this world, some, if they're going to be faithful, some may not think they're nice and well-behaved because we believe some, some things that are not popular. Psalm 127 actually says that we are to see our kids as weapons, like weapons in the hands of a warrior, men, fathers, dads, and moms. You are warriors, and your children are like, Psalm 127 says, arrows. Here's what Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Our children are to be raised in such a way that they are shot into the future like an arrow and are formidable weapons in God's kingdom. 
And of course, it's because we long to see the advancement of Christ's kingdom. We long to see, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John Knox, he was a, uh, one of the reformers. He was from Scotland. Um, he urged the parliament in Scotland, advocating for nationwide discipleship and Christian education. He said the following to parliament. He said this, Your honors, be most careful for the virtuous education and godly upbringing of the youth of this realm, for the advancement of Christ's glory. Amen. Of course, I mentioned this earlier, but this is to be done by faith, like everything else in the Christian life. We understand that the Lord needs to bless it, right? The Lord needs to bless it. Psalm 127 at the very beginning says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labors work in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen, they stay awake in vain. And so we understand that God must build our house. God must do it. And so we, we, all that we do, we do in faith. We trust in the Lord. We receive our children as a blessing from the Lord and we seek to bring them up by faith, trusting in God's work as we work. And that's the key. We trust in God's work as we work. We don't trust God and then just kind of go with the flow. Right? We don't trust God and then lay down and do nothing. Like the God-fearing, faithful farmer who trusts God, what does he do? He prays, he puts his faith in God, and then he plows the ground. And he plants seeds. And he makes sure the ground gets plenty of water and irrigation. And he picks weeds. And he grabs the harvest. That's how we parent. I love this quote I heard um, this last week. Oliver Cromwell was a, was a Puritan. He was also a military leader. Um, he once said to his soldiers, they were, they were about to have a battle. And he said, my boys, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Right? Put your trust in God and be ready to fire your gun. So what do we do by faith? What do we do by faith? Trusting in the Lord, how do we move toward this goal of nurturing our children to maturity in Christ? What is the path we're to walk on? There are two things. We are to first bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord. And second, we're to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Right living and right thinking. Right living, discipline, training, and right thinking through instruction. Let's think about these one at a time. First, we're to bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord. The word discipline means training in a, in a comprehensive sort of way. One author said that this word discipline, the, the Greek word is paideia, that this word is so pregnant with meaning that there have been volumes of book, books written on it. And he compared it to an English word like democracy in the sense that there's so much you can say about it. But essentially, 
It means the entire training and education of children for the cultivation of their minds and morals for the purpose of this child becoming a mature Christian man or woman. This is no small task. That's why we do it by faith, (laughs) right? That's why we do it by faith. We're called to train our children, not coddle them. We cuddle with them, we do fun things with them, but we're to train them, we're not to coddle them. We're, to, we're called to discipline our children, not indulge them. Now this kind of training, of course, sees all of life as a classroom and includes correction for wrongdoing, discipline for wrongdoing, as Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. But of course, it's more than just correction for consequences or misbehavior. It's also positively training our children and seeking their development of morals and virtues and so forth. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And I think we're we're to seek to discipline and train our children really believing that this is true, not in some kind of wooden way, but that as we seek to do what God calls us to do by faith, he will be faithful. Train up your child in the way he should go. Now, of course, so much of this is by imitation, isn't it? If you have kids, or, or if you have kids in the home now, you know this up very close and personal. If you have kids that are out of the home, you might remember kids imitate everything, don't they? Kids imitate everything. And of course, this is good. That's how they learn to do a lot of things. But they also imitate poor behavior in you and me and their siblings. And we can't blame everything on the the other siblings, right? (laughs) Because sometimes we say, oh my gosh, they got that from me. So much of this training is by imitation. Maybe you've said the phrase or thought it. Or maybe you have a sneakier way of saying this. Do as I say, not as I do. Really bad advice, right? (laughs) Really bad counsel. Because your kids see right through that. You say one thing and do another, and they know this is more important. Right? (laughs) They know that. When when there's a discrepancy between what we say and what we do, what we do always trumps what we say. I heard it several years ago. And have never forgotten that the goal of raising our kids or the goal with our children is not simply to get them to conform to a standard, God's standard. The goal is to get them to love the standard. We don't want them just to conform to God's ways. We want them to love God's ways. And the best thing you can do is imitate for them how you love God's ways that you love God and you love his ways. It's not a burden for you to follow Jesus. 
Well, if it is, then repent today and <laughs> change your perspective on that. Ask for God's help, but it can't be a burden. They will see that and they will imitate that. All of this, this discipline, this training is to be done with a nurturing love, of course, imitating our Heavenly Father and His discipline, for, discipline of us. Our Father disciplines us. He trains us. He wants to bring us up in His discipline, in His training program. We see this in Hebrews 12, verses 5 and following through verse 11. And this is, of course, quoting out of Proverbs. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all true children have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Do you hear what that's saying? Every true child of God goes through his training program and it's done with perfect love, with the right kind of tenderness and yet the right kind of firmness. Verse 11 of Hebrews 12 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's what we want for our kids. The peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes from training and discipline. Remember, it's, it's the discipline of the Lord. Bring your children up in the discipline of of the Lord. We want, our, we want to bring our kids up in the training of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, with a view of them becoming mature disciples of Jesus. I remember quite some time ago, I think maybe we had one kid at the time. Maybe. Maybe we didn't. Maybe it was just when Alyssa and I were engaged or first married. I remember hearing somebody once say, and I've heard other people say something similar to this, but I remember hearing uh, a man say, you know, I don't want to push Christianity on my children. I don't want to indoctrinate them. I want them to come to the belief on their own. And I think at the time I thought, well, yeah, you don't want to shove it down their throat, right? But as I've thought about that over the years, I've thought, indoctrination is inescapable. It's going to happen. The question, question is, who's going to indoctrinate? You know what I'm saying? Discipleship's gonna happen. The question is, is it gonna be you? Or is it going to be the influencers in our secular humanist society? Is it going to be you or someone else? Is it going to be you, moms and dads? Is it going to be us as a body indirectly coming alongside and supporting your efforts? Or is it going to be someone else? Someone who doesn't give a rip about Christ? Indoctrination is inescapable. The question is, who's doing it and what kind of doctrine are they getting? 
So we want it to be us. Amen? Amen. And we want it to be God's doctrine, God's truth. Let's look at, we also want to go down the path, not only of the discipline of the Lord, but also the instruction of the Lord. Verse four, at the end says, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think this is referring to the shaping of minds through teaching. And of course, we understand it's the shaping of minds through teaching and instruction of God's word because we're Christians. It's the shaping of the minds of our kids by truth by God's truth. One commentator suggested that the instruction in view here is that which focuses on loyalty to Christ as Lord. It's the instruction of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instruction that focuses on allegiance to Christ and his lordship. And this instruction is to be as normative as getting up in the morning and eating lunch and going to bed at night. Deuteronomy chapter six. Parents, like this is, this is your catechism for raising your children. Be encouraged with this and be challenged. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you get up in the morning. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When do we talk about the Lord with our kids? Your grandkids? Always. When are we directing them to God's truth, the loveliness of Christ and all that God is for us in Christ? All the time. When you're driving down the road, when you have a picnic, when your kids rise in the morning, before they go to bed at night, when you're sitting around the table. In the ordinary rhythms of life, not special, we, once every six months, we sit down and talk about God with our kids. All the time. It should be ordinary for your children, or for your kids to hear you. And grandparents, it should be ordinary for your grandkids to hear you talking about the Lord. An open Bible ought to be as common in your home as the opening of your refrigerator or your pantry to grab some food. Now, okay, we have Bibles on our phones and all of that, right? But um, talking about God and his word with an open Bible with our children should be very common. And of course, for good reason. We want our children thinking like Christians. We want our children able to discern good from evil and truth from error. 
We want our kids to know Christ as Lord. Right? It's the instruction of the Lord. We want them to know him as the rightful king of the universe. The ruler of all the world. The commander of the armies of heaven and that we are his soldiers here on earth. We want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead, reigning now at the Father's right hand until he has put all his enemies under his feet, triumphant over sin, death, pain, Satan, and hell. We want our kids to know that Christ is the King and Lord of the universe is going to come again and establish his kingdom of righteousness and joy on the earth and reign forever and ever. We want them to know that Christ. Amen. I remember one time, this was just, this, is, this was something sweet to me. I, at different times, we'd done some cate- catechisms in our home with our kids and I remember one time, Silas was really pretty young and I think I was asking one of his sisters and he's kind of, anyways, I asked him one of the questions, what is our only hope in life and death? And one of my daughters, I can't remember, I think I might know, but I won't throw them under the bus. Um, They were kind of struggling to come up with the answer and Silas said, that we are not our own, but belong to God. And he's only three. So I didn't give him the longer answer. I was like, amen, yes. That's what we want with our kids. We want them to know the Lord. We want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there, okay? There's more to be done, of course. (laughs) That's just a short answer. We want our kids to know that there's gonna be a day on which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Either as an enemy of God and cast away, or as a loyal, humble, happy subject of Christ. And remember, imitation. For you to nurture your child in the instruction of Christ's lordship, you and I must live under the lordship of Christ. You and I need to bow our knees to Christ. We need to confess with our mouths that he is Lord and seek to order our lives in such a way that we are living under the lordship of Christ. There is a battle in every person's heart, even every Christian's. And I'm, There's the devil too and all of that, but there's, there's this battle, Christ's lordship or mine. Remember the centrality of imitation. If you want your children to live for the glory of Christ under his lordship, and I'm challenged with this. I was challenged with this as as I was looking in the mirror this morning. If we want that for our kids, we need to show them how. So let's commit to do this. As a body, as a church, as a church family, let's mutually pledge to one another and to God to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Amen? So, by God's grace and with the help of his spirit, let's resolve by faith to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of our Savior and King and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.